0: Today, as we begin a new year, and as I have done in years past at such a time, I want to remind you from the Word of God why we exist as a local church. In other words, we want to ask and answer the question, why are we here? We want to answer that question, why are we here as a local church? What is our business? We want to see whether or not we are accomplishing our purpose. As I go into this message, I'm reminded of the words of a famous football coach, Dombardi. He had a saying, in fact he had a method of dealing with his football players, especially if they lost a game. Not only if they lost a game, but especially if they lost a game. He would gather them together in the room again and he would stand before them and he would hold up a football and he would say to them gentlemen this is a football in other words let's let's get back to the basics you've forgotten the basics that's why you're losing that's why you're not achieving the purpose for your playing and that's what we want to do this morning and next week Lord willing We want to be able to hold up the Bible and say, this is why we're here, to remind us that. That's very important. I'm also reminded of one of my professors, Dr. Howard Hendricks, who's calling Howie, during one of our Bible teaching sessions. he would say there are just three things I want you to remember when you're teaching. He says, repeat, repeat, and repeat. He says, let me put it this way. Say it. Say it again, and say it again, and then say it again to be sure that you said it right. He was emphasizing the importance of repetition and review if we are really going to understand and maintain what we say that we learn. That's what we want to do here. We've said some of these things to you before, but all I'm doing today is saying the same thing that he told me. I'm repeating, repeating what I've repeated, repeating what I've repeated, and then reviewing what I repeated to you. Bill Hybels is one of America's leading pastors. He has trained thousands of church leaders around the world in how to develop what he has called the seeker-sensitive church. Have you ever heard of that term? Okay. He is the one, one of the main ones, not the only one, who has helped to uh, popularize that concept of church ministry. He's taught thousands of pastors from around the world. He gave an address recently to his people. He said it was the wake-up call of his life. And I'm going to show this clip because I want you to see this to illustrate a point. Here's the clip. Take a look at it, and then we'll come back.
1: Hey, a few years ago, my executive pastor, Greg Hawkins, who's been just a right-hand person uh, with me for over a decade, uh, one of the smartest, godliest people I know, he comes into my office right around budget time, and uh, he said, we're about ready to allocate millions and millions of dollars in, of God's money Uh, into the ministries around Willow Creek and to our partners around the country and around the world and he said but do you ever wonder if we're using God's money and God's resources in ways that are really achieving the mission of our church you know our mission is to turn irreligious people into fully devoted followers of Christ and I said Greg of course I worry about that kind of thing I worry about it more than you do Uh, Because in addition to being a good steward, trying to be a good steward of God's money, I'm Dutch and uh, very, very cheap. I don't waste dollars on anything, especially not ministry. And by the way, could you at South Barrington here ease up on the number of paper towels you're using when you wash? But I said to Greg, you know, I think we're doing a fairly good job. Of uh, resource allocation around Willow. What do you want from me? And uh, he said, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to survey very deeply, very comprehensively, and quite professionally. I'd like to survey our whole congregation to find out what we do around here is actually helping people to grow spiritually and what we do around here that we may think is helping people to grow spiritually, but if we were to actually probe people. Maybe they'd tell us some of the stuff isn't working that well. I said, fine, go ahead, do it. Don't spend any money on it, but do it. So he pulled a volunteer team together of just really, really great people and they put an amazing survey together and did this very thorough thing that got, we got thousands of responses to. The data came in and then he and a team of people drove over to South Haven where I was doing some studying and uh, I got the wake-up call of my adult life. Now some of the data was wonderfully affirming of the stuff we're doing to help people grow. That actually helps people grow spiritually. Other parts of the data just ruined my day. And I told Greg and his team that they were ruining my day. And he started repeating one of his favorite lines, Bill, facts are your friends. Facts are your friends. Put the gun away. And, uh, These other people said, you know, we're only the messengers, and I reminded them of an era in history where leaders killed messengers if they didn't like the the message. And I said, in Chicago, we're still in that era. So, but that survey just rocked my world. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to digest as a leader, because some of the stuff that we have put millions of dollars in, thinking it would really help our people grow and develop spiritually when the data actually came back it wasn't helping people that much other things that we didn't put much money into and didn't put much staff against is stuff that our people are crying out for it was crazy making let me show you just very briefly one little part of our discovery Uh, in this survey that Greg did. And again, there's just tons of discoveries, but this is one little one. Um, Here's a a kind of a continuum. And uh, here's a cross. And here are people who are pre-Christian, but who are figuring out Christianity in the context of Willow Creek Community Church. Seekers, investigators, okay? That's here. These are people who are just across the line, like beginning Christians. These are growing Christians, and then these are people who are fully devoted followers of Christ as they self-describe, okay? Now, we asked one question, which was, uh, how, how helpful is Willow Creek Church being to you, In uh, how much help are they being to you in these various areas, when you're in these areas, uh, in these stages of your life? Okay, so if this would be like 10, We're, you know, Willow's really doing well. For our pre-Christians, remarkably, and this was like good news, they were giving us like nines going, I'm investigating Christianity, I come to this church, I love the services, I love what's offered to me, the resources, I like how the truth of Christianity is made relevant to me, so in a way I can understand it, rated us very high. Even the new Christians, it came down a little bit, but not that much. They were like, Ben, you helped me get in a group, you helped me with this, you helped me with that. It was all pretty cool. All right, then we get to growing Christians, and the scores start going down. And then we get to fully devoted followers of Christ, and the scores got scarily low. I was like, that bothers me. That really bothers me. Like, like we're not helping them that much. So I said, why don't we do some focus groups find out what's really going on and they said bill we did that I said, all right you're going to tell me about that too you're like yep put the gun away it's all right so they said you know a lot of people in this category they're saying they're not being fed that they want more meat of the word of god they want More serious minded scripture taught to them. They want to be challenged more, and so. And I was like, it's hard for me to hear. We give give messages on weekends, we give extremely challenging messages at our midweek service. We're one of the only churches in the United States that has a midweek service, a full blown Bible teaching session, in addition to what we do on weekends. We have small groups, we have classes, we have all this stuff. And I started getting a little irritated. I was like, I'll feed those people. I'll hire some old. I'll hire some old seminary prof. I'll feed them till they bark. <coughs> you know? So, you should see me in my finer moments. So, anyway, they said, hey, Bill, that's really not. That's, that's sort of the presenting thing they're saying. We think we know what's really going on. So, Greg Hawkins, again, just brilliant guy. He goes, Bill, we've made a mistake. What we should have done at about this point, when people cross the line of faith, become Christians, we should have started telling people and teaching people that they have to take responsibility to become self feeders. We should have gotten people, we should have gotten people, taught them how to read their Bible between services, how to do the spiritual practices much more aggressively on their own because what's happening to these people, the older they get, the more they're expecting the church to feed them when, and in fact, the more mature a Christian becomes, a Christian should become more of a self-feeder. Okay?
0: That was quite a revelation by Bill Hybels especially if you are acquainted with his ministry and the thousands of people that he has trained. I believe this was an amazing and courageous thing for Pastor Heibels to do. Now please, don't get the wrong message here. He's not saying that the speaker-sensitive concept of church ministry has failed. In fact, if you see it, he says it has succeeded. It's an evangelistic part. That first part, that's doing great. Where it has been finding that they're not doing what they should be doing is to developing true disciples. They spend millions of dollars to discover that. If they had come here four years ago and listened to one of our messages, they've gotten that free of charge. I'm only kidding with that one. But this has led now them to develop an entirely new focus of their ministry so that they could get the end product of a true disciple. And I applaud them for that because that's a biblical purpose. But he made one thing clear, which I commend him for and is my purpose for showing you this clip. We need to know what our end product is as a church. And we need to be sure that we are effectively working toward producing it. Let me repeat that. We need to know what our end product is as a church and be sure that we are effectively working towards producing it. In other words, if we don't know what the product is, then the process will not work. You understand what I'm saying? We could be doing a lot of things, but the end product will not result. So, ladies and gentlemen, here's my thesis for today's message. The local church must know the biblical reasons for its existence as an organized body if it is to function effectively. See, here's the principle. The same way a proper understanding of the nature of the church determines the character of the functioning of the church, so does the proper understanding of its purpose determine the objectives, the motivation, the standard and effectiveness of our functioning. In other words, when we say that the church must be true to its nature, we say that the church is a holy church according to the Word of God. How do we know that? Because it is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That means that if we do anything that is unholy, we are not functioning as a church. You understand what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth That means if we do a ministry that is based on lies and integrity and hypocrisy, we're not doing what God wants us to do. Because it's contrary to the nature of the church. You you understand what I'm saying? The same thing is true concerning the purpose of the church. We must know what the purpose of the church is if we are going to put into place effective programs to achieve the purpose. And I believe that such objectives... And goals can only be properly formulated if the overall purpose for the existence of the local church is clearly understood. I have mentioned this to you before, but I repeat it again today, and I will repeat it again and review what I repeated. Now, this purpose for the church, I believe, is described in a threefold manner in the Word of God. First of all is what I call a general purpose. And that general purpose is to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ. Very general, nothing specific here. To continue the ministry of Jesus Christ. In John 20, we have a direct command of this. Jesus said to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. In other words, the mission on which the Father has sent me, I am now sending you on that same mission. That's the idea. He confirms that in John 17 in his prayer to his Father. He says, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Notice, Jesus is saying that I am commissioning you with the same commission that the Father commissioned you. I am passing on the baton to you because I'm leaving. This is a divine cooperation that is seen in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 20. It says, When he commanded them to make disciples, he says, Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, Jesus has not left his church alone to accomplish his purpose. He is working along with us. It's a cooperative ministry. Jesus Christ is ministering along with us. And one of the biggest problems we have is when we try to do the ministry without cooperating with Jesus Christ. We go on our own. Now, there's a derived working principle from these these truths. In other words, there's something that comes out and tells us that we should be aware of. It is this, because the general purpose of the local church is to continue the ministry of Christ on earth in association with him, Its objectives and activities must be planned for the specific purpose of fulfilling that ministry. Does that make sense? Look at it carefully. This means that the local church must not be involved in any work, any activity, which does not receive both its commission and sanction from the Lord Jesus Christ. As head of the church... He must be the only director of his actions. We should not be involved in anything that Jesus Christ has not told us to be involved in. Examine your life. Examine your ministry. Now, These principles apply to individuals as well as a corporate body. So that's why I hate so many things that seem to be a part of so many church activities. We should go about doing it just because the world is doing it. You need to raise funds for a believer. Who is sick. So, what do we do? We do what the world does. We have a stake out. And the Bible tells us that we are to care for our people, even if it means sacrificing ourselves. You understand what I'm saying? You see, we need to demonstrate that the power of the Holy Spirit working in the church, not using human means to accomplish what God says you are there to do. If someone has a need we can meet that need we sin we close up the bowels of our compassion when we do not meet the need of a member of the church we can meet that has a need and we can meet it and we try to say come that's how a stake out and we'll make money for you to give it to you I don't know if that's exactly a means that is endorsed by Jesus Christ Now I know some of you don't like me saying this but I'm sorry that's my conviction the Word of God teaches something about caring for the body of Christ, and it's different from the way the world does it, And we've got to get back to the word. This is the football. This is the word. Look at the example of Christ. As we look at the second stage of this, first phase of the, of the purpose is to accomplish the ministry of Christ on Earth. We don't know what that ministry is yet. That's just general statement. But now there's a second phase to the purpose, and I call this the ultimate purpose, and that is to glorify the triune God. Look at the example of Christ again, because he is the one who is the head of the church and gives us the orders to do it. In John 17, when he says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. He has one concern here, to glorify the Father. Verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Do you notice this? Jesus glorified the Father. How? By completing the work he came to do. So completing the ministry he came to do glorified the Father. Now he's passed that ministry on to us. What are we to do to glorify him? To complete the work. In John 12, 27, he says, Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Notice again, John thirteen thirty one. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. John 14. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Notice this, my friends. Jesus Christ was consumed with glorifying the Father. That was his passion what drove him to glorify the father what is, should our passion be the same to glorify the triune god not to get a bigger church not to get more people not to get more ministries to buses and all of that no 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 but it's to glorify the triune god that should be our passion that's the reason for our existence and if you missed that here's the bible here's the basics you gotta get back to it. If you fail to do that in what you're doing, you're failing in everything. We too must be consumed with the passion to glorify the triune God. So here's the conclusion. The local church achieves its ultimate purpose of glorifying God when it properly associates itself with Christ in the completion of his earthly ministry. In other words, in order for us to glorify the triune God, we must complete the ministry that God that Jesus Christ has given us. Now that means you must know what that ministry is. Isn't that right? But you know it's amazing how many churches have been established and who know the purpose for the church. You look at the church, everybody's talking about the church being involved in community activities. You gotta go clean the streets, you gotta go clean the ocean, you gotta go clean this, you gotta go clean that. Is that a mission of the church? No, it's for sensible citizens to do responsible things for us to do. But don't say that's the ministry of the church. Anybody could do that, saved or unsaved. But only those who know Jesus Christ as Savior and how the Spirit of God indwelling them can do what needs to be done to glorify the triune God. That's why we cannot waste our time doing things what other people can do at the expense of doing things only we are supposed to do. What is then the ministry of christ well i call this the immediate purpose the immediate purpose of jesus christ was to evangelize the lost equip believers to become mature disciples of jesus christ that's how he glorified the father look at the example of christ again jesus had a twofold ministry when he was on earth i call it a redemptive evangelistic ministry listen to luke 19 10. It says for the Son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost that's redemptive 2nd Corinthians 5 21 he made him to know who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him that's redemptive only Jesus could do that we cannot do that look at first Timothy 1 it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. That's the Apostle Paul speaking. He didn't know me. That's supposed to be a joke. You got it? Thank you. All right. Listen carefully. Jesus both procured or secured and proclaimed salvation. He both procured it or secured it and proclaimed it. Only He could procure it or secure it. But the latter, the proclamation, is primarily done by His body. We are His body left on earth to complete His purpose of proclaiming the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.22, He put all things in subjection under His feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Friends, don't forget this. Alan Lee is not the head of Calvary Bible Church, nor is Pastor Fowler or Brian or Arnett or Albury or Terrence Spindle. I'm saying that with all seriousness. There's one head, and that's Jesus Christ. Now that means that we have got to be able to tap into our head to get the message down to the body this is where prayer and study of the word comes in not just sitting down i wonder now what's my vision for the church let's see now we need a bigger this we need a bigger that we more no 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 what does god say what's his purpose for the incredible body of christ on earth he's the head But not only was Jesus Christ involved in a redemptive evangelistic ministry, he was also a disciple maker. Listen to this passage in Mark 3. It says, Jesus went up to the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted. Now notice he's summoning these out from all of the disciples who are following him. He's calling certain ones to him. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Notice he didn't give that to all of them at this time. Only to these 12, a select group. Here's the principle. Only committed believers are true disciples. Only committed believers are true disciples. Listen carefully to the master's words. John 8:31. Jesus therefore is saying to those Jews who had believed him, notice, those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Do you notice that? Some believed. But they wouldn't true believers, wouldn't be true disciples, unless they obeyed the word of God. That's what it means to abide in him. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. How do you know the truth? By obeying the word. Because as you obey it, you learn more of it. Jesus is giving a very important principle here. Jesus teaches that Simply believing is not enough to make you a true disciple. And Jesus teaches that there are progressive levels or phases of discipleships. First, there is a professing disciple. This is a disciple who's curious but not saved. They come out to all the meetings. They listen, do all the things. They come to the suppers, they do all the things. They're curious but not saved. Jesus taught, Jesus in John 6, many therefore of his disciples, notice that, when they heard this, this is when they heard the message, Jesus says, You got to drink of my blood and you've got to eat of my flesh. Many therefore disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Who can accept what you're saying? This tough things. You this is a hard saying. How can we do this? Verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. Who's he talking to? Those whom he called in verse 60, his disciples. They had disciples. didn't believe for jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him and he was saying for this reason i have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the father as a result of this many of his disciples withdrew notice that many of his what disciples withdrew And were not walking with him anymore did you notice that these are people who believe these are people who call disciples the beginning of the sign Jesus did in Cain of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples what believed in him notice there were some disciples who did not believe in him they were curious but not saved we have a lot of people like that they come they say the words they wear the clothes They know the language, but they're not really born again. You see? There's a second level or stage of discipleship. This is what I call a possessing disciple, saved, but not committed. Verse 30 again. And he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Now he's speaking there of true belief. These people come to accept him now as the Messiah is the one who was appointed by God. They believed that, but they were not totally committed. Some of these curious disciples became saved disciples. But Jesus' next words in verse 31 shows that there was even another level of discipleship to achieve as well. Therefore, Jesus was therefore saying to those Jews, Jesus, Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, that means to obey my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You are disciples indeed and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In other words, abiding in or obeying the words of Christ is the mark of a true, genuine, all-committed disciple. That was Jesus' objective, to make true, mature disciples. And that's what Bill Hybels realizes as well, and that's a great thing. You as a believer fit into one of these levels. Only you can tell me. I can judge Evaluate, but only you know for sure. You see, from the, it's important for us to understand then that Jesus has an objective in developing people. Does he want to make them curious believers? No, no. Does he make them only want to be possessing No, no. He wants to make them what? Mature believers or committed disciples. From the perspective of the epistles, in other words, when we go into the epistles, we move out of the gospels, Jesus' goal was to lead those who believed in him to spiritual maturity. As the master disciple, he was the master disciple maker. But when we come to the epistles, you'll see in a moment, I'll get into this, as a change. The word disciple, the discipleship, is found nowhere in the Bible from the book of Romans to the book of Revelation. It ends in the book of Acts. The focus from that point on, you see the growth of the church, is on maturing believers. And there's a big important truth that needs to be seen, we'll see. Here's the mark of a true disciple according to the Word of God. He has a supreme love for Christ. He has a fervent love for other Christians. He manifests a denial of self, identifies with reproach and rejection of Christ. He follows Christ consistently. He obeys the word consistently, and he imitates Christ in winning and building new converts. That's the only thing when we come to actions. Everything else has to do with character and commitment. This is just an overview. What does a true disciple do? He evangelizes the lost, that means sharing the gospel, and he maturizes the believer. That word is my carnage, you wouldn't find that in any dictionary. Now, let's see how this truth of discipleship, the true discipleship, is represented in the Great Commission, as given in the, book of, as given in the Gospels and the Book of Acts. In other words, we want to see exactly uh, what discipleship has to do with when you put it all together from the four Gospels and the Book of Acts, because that's the only place where it's mentioned. Here's a summary of it. The goal of the Great Commission is to make disciples, as Matthew 28. The steps and this taking place is to preach the gospel. That's evangelization. That's in the Gospel of Mark. You baptize those who believe. That's what we call incorporation. That's also in the Gospel of Mark. You teach them all things commended by Christ. That's indoctrination. That's the process of discipleship. When you see and you take the Gospels and the Book of Acts together, it is very interesting to know that the term disciples does not appear in any of the epistles. Rather. The focus is upon spiritual growth and maturity. And so today, I don't ask anybody, really, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. I ask you if you are a mature believer in Jesus Christ. I ask if you're mature in your faith. I ask if you are growing in your faith, not if you're a disciple. Because that could be one of three different things, you see. Discipleship is seen as spiritual growth or Christian growth that results in spiritual maturity. We have this in Ephesians 4 listen to these words and he gave some as apostles some as prophets some as evangelists some as pastors teachers for the equipping of the Saints for the work of service notice to the building up of the body of Christ edifying maturing until we all attain the unity of the faith the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ that's the purpose of the church As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of man, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. Notice, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. You're maturing to become Christ-like. Not how many apostles do you know the names of them. What is the day this book? Not also a good information, but that don't cause you to grow spiritually. First Corinthians 3. I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and solid food, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are we not walking like mere men? We're not walking like Christ when there's bickering, when there is any kind of fighting and squabbling going on in the church? Greed and all that, that's not Christ-like. That should never be a part of the body of Christ. If it is, Christ is in the part of that person's life. Hebrews 5, concerning him, that's Melchizedek, we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Too many of God's people become dull of hearing. Many of you right now say, Ma, when are you going to shut up? Let's go home. I want to go home because it's too late. You don't want to hear the Word of God. You will come and hear somebody tell jokes for four hours. You'll come watch a movie for five hours. You wouldn't say a thing. But you get to reading or studying the scriptures, all of a sudden, you're getting anxious. You want to go. There's a new year. Well, I pledge to you the same thing Bill Haber's pledge. We're going to give you the meat of the word. You're not going to fool around with the fringes. Time is short. You need to know the Word of God. Notice what he says. Conhering him, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. That's right. Many of you here as members of this incredible body of Christ should be teaching new believers. But you need to be taught. Because you've failed to grow as believers. That's why this class with, Dr., with Pastor, Pastor Dr. Fowler is so important. For though by this time you are to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk, not solid food. It's amazing. I walk out here and after teaching some of the simple things, the scripture somebody says, boy, that's deep. And they haven't even put their foot in the water yet. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness while he is a baby. See, that's what it. We've been feeding our people elementary things. And that's all they wanna hear. They become so used to pablum you give them steak, they can't take it. You can't even take hamburger. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now, here's something that's very significant, and this is important. Discipleship in the spiritual maturity can only be realized within the context of a properly functioning local church. We read that in Ephesians 4. It's impossible for you to grow to spiritual maturity unless you are actively involved in local church. That's it. Ephesians 4 makes that quite clear. And in this passage, it shows us that the primary function of church leaders is to equip individual members to affect the maturity of the body as a whole. In other words, we are to equip you So that you could become a tour, so that you could go doing the same thing to others as well. Bill Hybels called them uh, self-feeders. And that's exactly right. You should know how to prepare your own spiritual diet. Not waiting to come here for it, or the Sunday school, or anything else. You should be able to cook your own spiritual food. Here's the marks of a corporate spiritual maturity. Unity of the faith. That has to do with our doctrine. Unity in the knowledge of Christ. This has to do with Christ's likeness, intimacy with Him. Doctrinal st- stability, not kicked around every time you hear something on the TV. Boy, going this way, goodness, I can plant my seed here. I can do this, do that. No, no. Doctrinal stability because you know the Word of God. You practice the truth lovingly. You see? You practice the truth lovingly. You, are, you have an active participation uh, in the body, active participation of each member of the, min- in the ministry of the church. Everybody should be involved in the ministry. Everyone. 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 If you're going to be growing, you've got to be involved in some form of ministry. The three areas of growth. There's the inward growth, that I call the qualitative growth. It's a spiritual organic. This is something that God does within us. Then there's the outward, quantitative growth. This has to do with the natural result of inward growth organizational strength evangelism and so on and then there's a third goal called the upward growth this is the qualitative growth spiritual organic it has to do with worship these are the things that we should be growing in inwardly outwardly and upwardly as well so here's the conclusion to it all the local church achieves the ultimate purpose of glorifying the father by associating herself with Christ in the completing of his ministry on earth that's the general purpose through the evangelization of the lost and the discipling of believers so that they become Christ-like in character and action. That's the immediate purpose. And they do that through the power of the indwelling Spirit of God. Is the application. The local church, that's Calvary Bible Church, and any other church you might be involved you might be a part of, exists for the ultimate purpose of glorifying God. This is very important. Let please read this with me. The local church, Calvary Bible Church exists for the ultimate purpose of glorifying God. This purpose is achieved as members of the incredible body of Christ unite together in love to carry on the ministry of Christ by evangelizing the lost and equipping the believers to become mature disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what's it all about. Notice, the entire Godhead is involved in this cosmic activity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so here is what I would like to present to you again. And uh, I'm going to put this in. You should have so you could memorize it if you want, if you, if you can. i pick this up next week. This is what I look at as Calvary Bible Church's mandate. To lovingly but dynamically represent Jesus Christ in completing His ministry of spiritual redemption, spiritual perfecting, social compassion, toward all people until He returns. Here is what you could look at as our purpose and mission. Here's another diagram. It is to glorify, try on God, is what? The ultimate purpose. Completing the ministry of Jesus Christ is the, the general purpose. By evangelizing lost and discipling believers, that's the immediate. How do we bring these about? How do we help this to happen? By providing members with opportunities for a personal encounter with the try on God through worship, the Word of God through instruction, the people of God through fellowship, and the world that God loves through evangelism. That's what it's all about. That's why we're here, beloved. That's why I'm here. And with God's help, as long as I am here, this is the purpose, the goals, and the objectives to which I will work. As Paul says, we proclaim Him. Teaching, exhorting, All people, so we might do what? Present them mature in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to say in that passage, Colossians 1, 28, 29, and he says he does this by laboring earnestly through the power of the Holy Spirit. That too is my commitment to God and my commitment to you. My desire is to see each person in this incredible body to be a mature Christian. That means to be Christ-like people who love God with all their hearts and love others as themselves. See love.